Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart. I'm Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner. Podcasting for our health. I didn't set out to do this. However, I am the daughter and sister of transplant recipients. I'm the mother of someone who may one day need a transplant. And I am a transplant recipient myself. Hi, I'm Pat Hart, a broadcaster of mostly South Asian background. And I'm partnering with Primrose to produce this series of podcasts. Hello again. It's Primrose Granville here, the accidental campaigner. And welcome to Podcasting for Our Health. Episode 9 organ donation, black men talking. And this is the pen ultimate version. If I told you the issues we had to get the last two out, you probably wouldn't believe me. But like we always say, the show must go on. So as usual, I'm here with the wonderful Patrick Hart. I've told you this before. Without him, these podcasts would never happen. Hello, Patrick. Why does that never stop me having a smile on my face? Every time you call me wonderful, <laughs> then, then I'm happy. You know how to work me, don't you? Definitely. I, I do know how to work you, Pat. And yes, I'm buttering you up, but it's good butter and you deserve it. <laughs> Thank you. Listen, I'm really excited about today's podcast because we hear from some real heavyweights in the shape of Sean Wallace, the Dark Destroyer, and of course, uh, legend Levi Roots, but also Halil Abdi as well, who has a fascinating and very moving story as well. And it's apt that it's black men talking. Prim, it's not very often I ask you, how has your journey been? How has your transplant journey been? Because it's not actually that long when we think about it, is it? It isn't, Pat. It is technically three and a half years, almost. But it's been three and a half years of journeying, quite literally. Because many people think that having a transplant it's secure, it's the end of everything. It isn't. But let me just categorically say, everything that has happened that has not been so great, I would do it again, just to not spend one day on dialysis. So my transplant, as you know, was fairly quick, miraculous even. So I didn't get to experience dialysis. And I know how Traumatic dialysis can be on somebody's system, somebody's body, sure. mind, everything. And because I didn't get to experience that, anything that I'm experiencing now, I will take happily. Mm. So the journey has been great kidney-wise. Diamond Lily is really a diamond. She's as tough as they come. And everything that's been thrown at her in the last three and a half years, she has taken it like a pro, I'm telling you, Pat. And she just grows from strength to strength. But listen, you've been doing, you've been giving good PR now because I know, right, we've been through the worst pandemic in our living memory, right, which has been scary. But I also know that you've been in and out of hospital as well. There have been issues. You're, you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm fine. And of, of course you're fine right now and you're smiling. But many people listening to this won't understand that actually that that, transplant is the beginning and you've said of a journey and the journey isn't just all the way up there are stops 
there are there, there are times when you're feeling down. There are times when I've been able to talk to you over the telephone or, or we've had text conversations. So you're at the depths sometimes because you're feeling great one day, then all of a sudden, bang, you're in the hospital. How's that been? Scary. Hmm. It has been very scary. Um, fine today and in the hospital tomorrow, I have had an experience where I have been in hospital with four different bags of IV fluids. And while I'm there and it's happening, it's like an outer body experience. And then it doesn't hit me until I get home and I think, you've just been through this. So for many people, they won't know that I have picked up post-transplant diabetes. That is scary and traumatic for me on several levels. I'm a fruit and vegetables girl. I don't eat unhealthily. Mm. I don't even like sweet drinks. I don't even like sweets. And I am on a journey trying to work out how, why did I get diabetes? And the diabetes journey has been the most unpleasant part of my entire health journey because the treatment has not been that great from a team that's meant to be looking after me. But I am still traversing that path. So there are things like that. There are days when I'm riddled with acid reflux. I can't even drink water. But would I change any of that to be on a transplant waiting list on dialysis? No. Well, look, we're going to talk about the pandemic and being clinically extremely vulnerable. What are those abbreviations that they call, call us? CEV. Right. I'm one of them too. And, and how that's affected decision-making. But, but for this podcast, uh, there are some generic things, but we're going to concentrate specifically on men. There are unique issues with men, especially black and brown men. Firstly, we don't talk about these things. We don't want to talk about our health. We're incredibly proud. But also as men, we're incredibly scared to be prodded around and to get diagnoses and to, uh, to go and seek help. All these things can be a problem. Let's take our first guest. So our first guest is Sean Wallace, the dark destroyer from the chase. I've always said that with fame comes responsibility. And, uh, you know, I want to actually use uh, my fame as an uh, altruistic way uh, to try and inspire and help uh, people of my colour and community. This is an NHSBT podcast, and they're all about blood and organ donation. Yeah. Now, I would like to hear your views on organ donation. Well, my views are, are quite clear, actually. Uh, everybody knows that there is a, a chronic shortage uh, of uh, organs for people who need much-needed transplants in terms of various which uh, could ultimately save their life. And whilst it's not for me to actually dictate or say to people that you must do so, because obviously it's a matter of choice, uh, I think as a personal choice and for the benefit of the community at large, that people should consider you know, donating their organs after their death. So, you know, for me, I think it's very, very important to actually support such an initiative whilst not trying to preach or impose uh, on people. But my message to people would be this, that something you should really consider uh, in terms of uh, donating your organs after you've died. And for me, it's important, as I say, for the benefit of the community and for the benefit of people who desperately need them to actually support that initiative in relation to donating my organs after my death. And again, people for you know religious reasons you know i understand their position uh, and again it's a question of basically saying to people think of what you're doing think of the gift that you're leaving behind 
in relation to uh, your passing, that you are trying to prolong and save a life. And, you know, it's for people to actually look in their own cottages and, and to basically look at the situation in terms of the pros and cons. You know, the one thing you can't do when you sadly pass from this mortal core is to take your possessions with you, and that includes uh, your bodily possessions. But if you realize that, you know, by sort of making that donation and making that decision to actually use your organ and prolong a life, then, as I say, you are leaving a fantastic gift and a fantastic legacy. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you actually said the word legacy because that, that takes me on to the next question. A lot of people will argue Sean, that there are historical reasons why they don't give blood and they don't donate their organs and probably, lots of probably things. Probably for religious reasons, principally sometimes. And as I say, that is the hardest thing to try and persuade people in relation to, you know, entrenched beliefs, you know, traditional beliefs that, uh, you know, when we pass into the afterlife that, uh, you know, we're supposed to have all our organs intact. I mean, we never know what's going to happen uh, when we get to the other side. But I'd like to think that... Uh, the man upstairs, uh, who I always refer to uh, as uh, the Lord Almighty, will basically smile upon us if we basically are trying to actually uh, leave a legacy in the world we leave behind in terms of trying to save a life. That's the way I view things. And what about the histories? You know, people often quote the Henrietta Lacks justice, the Tuskegee trials, uh, lots of yeah. injustices. That's totally understandable because especially in relation to our black community, you know, we have suffered at the hands of uh, being oppressed and also being used as experiments uh, in relation to further so-called medical research and science, uh, which, as I say, have been proven to be, uh, you know, horribly wrong. And we can obviously understand by looking back uh, to those episodes that those are lessons uh, that uh, we don't want repeated. But, you know, it's important to actually understand the past in order to try and make sense of the present, I say. But you shouldn't use the past as a means of trying to prevent us as a community and as a society generally from basically trying to help other people. I spend a lot of time with people who are on waiting lists, waiting for organs, and they say the same things as yourself. Do you think there's a disparity of thought in the younger black generation and the older black generation? And how can we address that? There is. You know, we do live in a society uh, whereby everybody has a freedom of choice. But it's important that when people are putting the pros and cons, uh, that we don't actually put out sort of uh, false disinformation basically uh, prevents people from actually considering the options and considering the options on either side before making a firm and committed choice. As I say, that's the only way we can actually uh, try and raise the profile of organ donation and awareness and the importance of it by basically putting the uh, reasons for and accepting that, you know, people do have the freedom of choice, but, you know, urging people to make that important choice. Organ donation in some situations can be done as a living donor. So you can give one of your kidneys. Yes, and it, you can. And in some situations, a part of your liver, it, it happens and it does save lives, especially if the, the transplantee or the person waiting is a child. What would you say if you knew of someone who needed, let's go with kidney, and you were able, you were a match? What would you say to that person? I know that so far as the fact that, you know, people can survive and thrive without the use of both of their kidneys. If it came to a situation whereby I could donate with my kidney to save somebody's life, I wouldn't hesitate in so doing. And as long as people are, are aware and are made aware in relation to the fact that by you making that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate altruistic sacrifice, that it's not life-threatening to you. And again, explain the benefits as to why it's important for you to do that because of the fact that you are that perfect match in relation to the person who they hope that you donate your kidney to uh, then again 
as long as uh, the person ultimately making the decision has explained before him or her uh, the pros, the cons, uh, ultimately told that it's an important decision that they are making and explains to them why it is making uh, that decision is so important, then I think that's an important message to actually try uh, and uh, put across to people. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer Pat Hart. Fascinating stuff from uh, my favourite chaser, Sean Wallace. And isn't it great that he, he kicked off that interview by saying that he really believes that with his fame comes responsibility. Wouldn't it be amazing if all famous people felt that way? It most certainly would be because there's so many famous people who we don't really see them giving back and we don't know if they give back or not, but we've never seen or heard of them giving back. But you're right, it would be wonderful if they did. Mm. Let's move on, Prim. I, I, I promise you. I do want to talk about decision-making processes for those that are clinically extremely vulnerable, especially during this most recent pandemic. Those decisions that are made, do you want to come here? There's a party, there's a screening, there's an event. Do you go? Don't you go? How do you decide whether or not you'll travel on a train, for example? Will it be quiet? Will you have to sit next to somebody? Why are they not wearing a mask, etc., etc.? That's something that maybe we will talk about after we hear from our next guest. And our next guest is very special. We have Khalil Abdi. Now, he is a young Somali heritage man, and he had a kidney transplant. And he talks about the experiences of a struggle he talks about not being given information. He talks about how difficult a time it was when he did not see anyone or know of anyone going through the same experiences as he was and how that impacted the journey. And then he talks about the beauty of the transplant team at the hospital that we both get treated in. Wow. So he talks about this team so glowingly and I could only agree with him because they are amazing. So let's hear from Halil. My name is Halil Abdi and I left Bristol since 2002. And I have been working at different jobs, but for tennis support worker, then I'm working a mental health support worker. And now I'm working, working with young people, working, helping the young people in, in the city area. So in 2008, I was diagnosed kidney failure. It's a mystery. They didn't tell me what happened. But the only they say it's like cause maybe your you got high blood pressure at that time. I've been on dialysis since two thousand nine till two thousand thirteen. So it was like difficult at that time. During that time I has also got nervous damage. So I was not able to walk for quite a while. And I went to Germany to see a doctor and that doctor helped me to 
work again and feel much better. Still, I was at that time getting dialysis. And also, I was I was working sometimes as a tennis football worker and working with the people who got like mental health, drug addiction, and people who are asylum seekers and refuge. I was managed in hospital. Because at that time, there was not that a lot of people who have kidney problems from the community that I seek advice or like told me or talk about how we get help. So it was very challenge and difficult time. I struggling a, a lot. I want but, to ask you a couple of questions based on what you've just told me. So the first yeah. thing I want to ask you, you had no idea you had kidney issues? No, I didn't have and I have no symptoms. My family have no kidney problem at all. No one have. It's only me at that time. But Did you know you had high blood pressure? Yes at that time but it was not that bad at that time but I never had like you're going to have kidney failure I never had so nobody told me this will damage your kidney or this will have a health complication nobody gave me advice it wasn't like that and I would not know anyone from my close friend or relative or family have high blood pressure so I didn't get like how to manage I didn't know how to manage or uh, just like you didn't get any support because you talk about not knowing anyone in your community. Can you tell me who your community are and sort of where they're based? And why was it so difficult for you to hear from other members of your community who might have the same problems? I'm from East Africa. I'm from Mali uh, and the, the inner city. But at that time, what I'm talking about, there was not much, even black people, I didn't see that much people uh, who have, when I was in the hospital, who have like kidney issue and there was not any public advice or community speaker talking about this issue a lot of people do nowadays it wasn't that there was no awareness at that time there was no awareness at all that the health issue talking about or i didn't see anybody talking about Mm. so that was very difficult to understand and when i was in the hospital when i first diagnosed i was very confused i didn't know for a few weeks what's going on because at that time so when I was admitted in the hospital, I was in the hospital in BRA and then they transferred to South Mead, but nobody explained to me what's going on. I was like, what's going on? I was in the hospital. And then when I got nervous damage, they transferred to uh, French Hospital and I was there sitting, lying in the bed. Nobody explained to me. When I went to Germany, the doctor explained to me, say, oh, you need to physiotherapy. You need to walk. You don't need to be on bed. And you think this is killing you while you're on the bed. It's killing you because all your muscle is dying. But you have to walk. You have to do exercise. At that time, I was not working. I was on wheelchair. And he said to me, you shouldn't be on wheelchair. You should walk. You should try to walk. Exercise. Even if you're not able, you have to try. Otherwise, you're going to be on wheelchair for your life. When you were immobile to the point where you had to use a wheelchair, was that before or after you had your kidney failure diagnosis? So one of the medication I got that you think they said, oh, you have side effects for that medication. And that's why you have a nervous damage. So your medication actually damaged your nerve to the point where you couldn't walk? Yeah. I want to go back, Halil and talk about how you felt when you were diagnosed and the state you're in. Did you feel very lonely? No, because I'm a person with a faith. So I believe 
God Allah. So I didn't see that much, anything like that, because I didn't feel that way. Because I have also a lot of support with my family, friends, community. So I don't feel that way. When, when I diagnosed it, I accept because I have no problem that I diagnosed with kidney failure. I didn't have problem. I still work in nine to five. When I have a dialysis about seven or eight o'clock and finish like two o'clock and then in the morning I used to come and work nine o'clock. I didn't see any problem that way. The process when I w- went to the hospital, I didn't get like in a lot of support, a lot of information, a lot of help. The transplant team were very good. They give me a lot of information. They support me. They, they always telling me what to do and how you can get a kidney, your, your family. And they did a good job of them for that point. But in terms of the doctor or the people consulting, they didn't give me that much information or support for the beginning. And that was my frustration and my concerning and um, confused me. Didn't know what's going on. Am I going to die while I'm, my blood coming out every day? So I didn't know. That. So that was the part of my confusion and my worry. A lot of times that was like, and because sometimes my while, while I'm the machine, I was like my blood pressure go down, and so it was hard that way. But on the other side, for the transplant team, it was much better, very advanced. I'm talking to you, supporting you, helping you to find your match, family or relative or friend, and they explain you how you can do. Like if one of your family is not match with you, there's other people who match you that you can do that way. So the transplant team was very, very good and very helpful and I'm grateful with them. But the first bit was not the greatest. No, not the greatest bit. It was hard. Were you worried about your family falling ill if they gave you a kidney? A lot of information. I didn't have knowledge and nobody educated me about it. So I wasn't like feeling that way. And my brother just become same with me and the tissue and the blood and everything was same and he offered me and then while I was making that decision it came from the hospital say oh we got much for you were you afraid for your family member to give you a kidney because I didn't have that knowledge at that time so I didn't know what's going to happen and how this process is going to work I now I explain to people that many people now their brothers or their sister or family member give to them so I encourage now I become like that way encouraging people to do it because I have that experience now mm. and that fear is not existing anymore because when I went into the process it's not I seen other people or I yeah so I seen members of my community now donating each other wow yeah how does that make you feel, Halil, knowing that we wait on average a year longer than other communities? How does it make you feel when you see people in your Somali community donating kidneys to each other? Because there's a lack of knowledge. If you educate the people and explain to them, because as you know, in our communities, if they are very busy for their life, day-to-day life, they struggle. So they have no that knowledge or experience. But now we have the opportunity that to tell each other the process, how the process is, and educate our people. So it's up to us to educate our people and help. Because I know when I was on the island, day after day you suffer, day after day you become weak. Mm-hmm. So this is what I educate now and tell the but while you're proud on the dialogue, you could help cousin, relatives, member of the community. And if you're not fit to give your kidney, the, the hospital will not accept it. If you not help yourself, the hospital cannot take your kidney because you also not fit. But those who are healthy, they have to give their kidney or donate or help with the other people who suffer. So it works. We've seen a lot of people nowadays donating each other and helping. And those who help it, they have a family, so they supporting their children. They have baby born after the kidney now. And that's the people celebrating. 
Mm. So there's something to smile or happy that person who donated the kidney see the family is still growing, new baby came and that person feels happy because he, he donated his kidney somebody and then he sees the new baby and that makes us feel happy that you changed somebody's life. It's a beautiful legacy, isn't it, Halil? That you, you yeah. can help somebody to have, have a life after going yeah. through such a, a really hard period of illness. Yeah. And also, you, you give somebody freedom because when you have kidney failure, you have no freedom. You can't no freedom. live where you live. So it's that you are close to the machine. And I think it's the people to think and see if you save one life for humanity because like in that helping that person who is that. Still, I think the people who I left eight years ago still going to the hospital, our community, because they, they need somebody that come out and say, okay, I can help that person. How are you feeling now physically? Since you've had your transplant, your transplant is it eight years old? Yeah. How are you doing? Blessing. Thank you to Allah who gave me this and the family who donated me, and I'm really grateful. But my life changed, so I was struggling when I was in my work, like because I was like struggling at that time and very busy with job. I was like struggling to go dialysis, coming two o'clock in the morning and going nine o'clock in the work. So I didn't have that much. So it was very difficult and tired all the time. I'm so happy yeah. the day you told me that you're a transplant recipient. I'm so happy yeah. to speak to you today, to hear you share your journey and the testimony and yeah. asking community members to donate. But yeah. to end this beautiful conversation, Halil, what would you like your community members to do when it comes to donating organs? I think, I, I think like, the one thing that, I understand. You never know that one day you will need. And thinking about that day you need. So thinking about somebody else need your help. Somebody in your community. I see people because I know I've been through this. I know the people who's walking on the street who have similar issues. And a few weeks ago, one of my friends in our community, he got a kidney transfer. And now when you look his face, the happiness, the smile, you can see that person. It's like already changed. Less than four weeks, but already changed his life. He's been liberated. And, and that is the beauty. That's what you can do. And it's very important. Everyone, mm-hmm. everyone, whether it comes from our community or other community, thinking about that. You help somebody. When you help somebody, the feeling that person, the happiness, is a great thing to do. It is. It is a great thing to do, Halil. And, and, and thank you so much for sharing your story. And, you know, I wish you all the best in your health. And, and we'll be talking to you again. We will. Thank you. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer Pat Hart. It is Podcasting for our health episode nine, as Primrose keeps saying, the penultimate episode in this particular series. We've just heard from Halil Abdi, a moving yet inspiring story that also highlights frustrations, not just for black and brown men, but as many people will say, people will just label, well, they're black and brown. Halil is from Somali heritage. And once again, within that community or those communities, specific barriers, uh, language issues, and lack of access to information being able to go to hospitals or doctor's surgeries, being stereotyped in particular ways, all of those barriers to go through before we even talk about misdiagnosis, before we even talk about particular drugs having side effects that you didn't realize and 
you're worried about not being able to walk again, for example, when all you're initially worried about is that primary issue about maybe kidney failure. For Halil, it was high blood pressure. He went into hospital for high blood pressure. He went into hospital for high blood pressure. The next thing, he's in hospital with kidney failure. In the renal world, we call that a sudden death. That's what it felt like for him. Mm. Suddenly, something is gone. And then the next thing they're telling him, oh, your medication is giving you side effects that will affect your walking. You know, when you listen to his story, it is very powerful. What can we say? What can we say to men, especially men of color, black and brown men, that are listening right now, that may be worried about their health? And we're not talking about those that necessarily have successfully been through some kind of trans- transfusion or had an organ. But maybe those of us that we might be on the beginning of a journey. But who do we talk to? I, I don't want to talk to my friends necessarily about my health apart from yeah i've got a hangover i'm not feeling too good when it gets a little bit more personal maybe i wouldn't talk to my partner i certainly wouldn't talk to my kids getting a doctor's appointment is hard enough so if i'm feeling down i'm feeling depressed i'm feeling really really worried maybe i'll look up online but then it's like a lottery isn't it you look up online where do you look what are the right websites to go to so actually for men in general But the statistics tell us, for black and brown men, there is literally nowhere for us to go and get that support and get that advice. So I can tell you now, and and you can tell people, many people we know, you know, our brothers and sisters, people that we might, might have grown up with, they've gone. They've passed. And they've passed because they've not investigated quickly enough ailments that they may have or they've not gone to get the right advice and we're in this vicious circle because we've not bothered to talk about it we've not bothered to even go on an organ donor register and help other people um, whether we are living donors or whether we opt to put our organs up when we pass through It's a really difficult situation, isn't it? And no matter how many adverts you get, whether it's on TV, radio and stuff like that, it's only podcasts like this that maybe can shed light on other people's experience. We can listen to it privately. We don't have to tell anyone, hey, I was listening to Prim. I was listening to Sean Wallace. I was listening to Halil. And coming up, of course, we've got Levi Roots. But those stories that we've been telling for me, and I know for many men of color that have listened, are the things that give us strength because they're the only places that we can go to get to get that information that, that that we trust boy pat you've just said it all i don't have anything else to say on that one except to say we've got levi coming up except to say in levi's message he talks about the message he would like to deliver to his community Here's Levi Roots. When people mean giving back, what, what, what do you mean by that? What is giving back? And that is something that I've always struggled with to find a, a sort of balance between that and how you can do something that makes you feel worthwhile. I think the greatest give back is of the mind, is of the will. 
It's also about the power of the people as well. Then it will be more voices and then the numbers will be increased. We need more voices to talk about it, to raise that awareness. Again, you know, I know where I'm at and I know what my blessings are. So I wanted to join the, the army of that to, to be able to raise the voice about it that I can really put my all in. I think where the problem lies is when you get slightly older people who may be absent from doing this because of stigmas and, and old storytelling type things. In, in my experience, that's where it comes from. Whenever I talk to somebody, you know, over their 30s, 40s, you know, going a bit, bit older, it's about the, the old stigma. You're afraid because of old stories, not because of any scientific stuff that you've learned. Like I said, the young now studies the internet a lot, so they, they know whatever goes inside of them. They, they understand that a bit more. So I think my message would go towards those who are a bit older than I I think that we should be really targeted to, to get rid of that stigma because in some ways that's what sort of traveled with me all, all my life until you, you suddenly wake up and start thinking thinking a bit differently. And um, as I said, you start take things more from a scientific truth rather than a story truth that, that, that you hear. For me, as a Rasta man, it was an instantly no with an X there, you know, absolutely, because that's what you know. But in life, you change, and especially when you have no people who are being affected by that, you know, or you imagine yourself that if one of your children or one of your family, your brother, sisters, aunties, cousin, or whoever is suffering it and, and needed, what would you do? You know, and you have to be really truthful with yourself with the answers for this. So it's really just a having conversation. That's what I would do is sit with that person and find out where is this blockage coming from, why they, you know, they wouldn't do that and try to reason with them and, and try to convince them to be able to, to, to overcome whatever it is. Because I just think that we all need to have more of a truth about it because that blockage there, you know, as I said, is there for a lot. And when you say that, you know, all sorts of image stirs up. I think it's a clearage of that. And then to really explain to them how saving a life, how, how they could literally save a life by getting involved. Wow, what a trio. Uh, we ended our third and final guest, Levi Roots. We've had Sean Wallace, Halil Abdi, and Levi. Um, I feel inspired, Prim. And the reason I feel in, inspired, you, you, you said this before we heard from, from Levi, is that, you know, as men, we don't talk. We don't talk enough. We don't talk enough about all kinds of things from mental health to organ donation to, to how we're feeling right now. Um, and to have such strong characters share with us um, their stories and their testimonies is kind of, um, it's inspiring for me. And it makes me feel less worried as well uh, for others. Because if, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, Send the link to somebody that you feel may need it. Send it and share it because it's so, so, so important that we spread this kind of information right across our communities. Again, Pat, what else can I say? (laughs) But share this. Share this podcast. Share this episode nine in particular because it's very powerful. The narrative from and of our men, very important because men are not known to talk. But here we are on this podcast with three men talking. Mm. What more could you ask for? I know what more I could ask for. And this is something that as men, women, everybody, right? This is quite generic. I did tease earlier that situation of being clinically extremely vulnerable 
And all of us will have had to fight this battle at some stage. So, Prim, we've spoken during this pandemic, right? Do we get on a train? Do we go to a party? We're clinically extremely vulnerable. We get the text messages. Hey, do you want to have booster number seven or number six or, or whatever else it is, right? Do we wear a mask? Do we go into a radio studio? Do we go and do a TV interview? Prim, how have you felt? Because you are somewhat of a celebrity anyway. So you're invited to stuff literally most nights of the week and days. You have to travel from A to B. You have to go to a supermarket. There's no more special deliveries from the supermarkets anymore for us. We've got to do it all ourselves, right? How have you managed to cope through this maze of confusion, but also fear? Because if we are, just, just think of those words for a minute. Clinically, extremely vulnerable right so if we were to catch covid there is a much stronger possibility than anybody else that we will die so when we go out we are taking our life in our hands i'm not being melodramatic just being honest how's it been for you prim how have you navigated this Mostly staying at home and not coming out. But I do have to come out my house now because the world has opened up. There aren't any provisions now for me to do stuff. I got to do it myself, like you said. And it's been scary. I was in a room the other day. I was the only one in a mask. I didn't care. I was in my mask. I felt safe. I actually now ask nicely, can I have the seat by the window? And the window needs to be opened. If it's cold, I'll put my coat on. And I do that. And it's all those little things. But you still feel a bit funny. Because you're thinking, people are thinking, why is she going through this? Mm. But I know why. Because you said it, Pat. If I get COVID, I am more likely than most to not survive. Mm. And I'd like to survive. So I can do episode 10. <laughs> You know, I get the looks. I sit on the train when I go to work. I've got my little, my, my, my little mini pack of sanitizing cloths. I sanitize the table around me and the armrests. And I always have my, uh, I forget what you call it, but it's a thing you wear around your neck and it's also got a mask on it. People opposite me, they want to cough. Fine, cough. But I've got my mask on. I don't care how many people around me stare at me. I've got my mask on. And, and that's the way I'll stay. I sanitize. I've, I've got my hand cream on either side of my little back. I've got it in the car. And I'll continue to do that. But you know what? I, I would say to anybody listening, if you are clinically extremely vulnerable, or even if you're not, bear in mind, wherever you go, you will see people with masks. Don't ridicule them. Don't look at them. Don't make them feel uncomfortable. Welcome and embrace them. And if you're going to cough, you dab it. You get your, your tissue. You make sure that you're clean. Uh, and that you respect everyone around you because nobody knows what journey the next person next to you is going on or has been on. And I think maybe that's, that's the best way to leave episode nine is about for men, men of color, to say, keep talking. Please keep talking. Please seek advice from the right places. Please pass this podcast on. Listen to the entire series, if you will. It's so, so important. You know, these words have never, these three words have never been more important for me. 
education is power. Thank you, Pat. That's it for now. See you next episode. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer Pat Hart.